My name is Heather Pittman, and I'll be reading the scripture this morning, starting at Mark 9, verses 1 to 9. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. In the beginning, you spoke and you said, let there be light. And in Christ, you have spoken to us and said, I am the light of the world. We pray that you, O oh God, Christ, the light of the world, would come among us and walk among your people. That you would speak your word of truth and comfort to us. That we would do as the Lord says and listen to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are, again, continuing through the gospel of Mark, Mark's story of Jesus. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. No surprise, we're here at the story of the Transfiguration of Jesus. I mean, we've seen plenty of strange things up to this point in Mark's gospel. There was the Holy Spirit descending like a dove at Jesus' baptism. Then we had a demon ambushing Jesus at a synagogue, confronted and cast out. Then last week, Jesus lifted a woman with a fever right out of bed, healing her and restoring her to life. Here, though, things are maybe at their strangest. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his closest followers, up a mountain. It could be Mount Hermon on the border between modern Syria and Lebanon, but we're not entirely sure. The point is, though, that this is a mountain. And a mountain is a place 
where the spiritual realm and earth are thought to intersect. Like the higher you go up, the closer to heaven you get. The peak sort of pierces that divide and you can kind of see things that you wouldn't normally see down here on earth. And it's up here where Jesus transforms from regular old Jesus in beige robe to shimmering Jesus with clothes whiter than any bleach can bleach him. Jesus is transfigured. He's transformed and he shines, we're told, like the sun. He shines like the sun. Now, if that isn't strange enough for you, well, solar Jesus is chatting with Moses and Elijah, which is also weird because the two of them were up and in their prime centuries before. It's weird because by logic they should be dead, but it's not so weird in the sense that the scriptures describe Elijah being taken up in a heavenly chariot, you know, swing low, swing chariot. That's Elijah. And legend or tradition circulating at the time is that Moses didn't actually die, but was taken up to heaven too. Remember, mountains poke up into heaven, so if Moses and Elijah are up in heaven, their attendance with Jesus, it all makes a certain amount of sense, strange as it may be, because they are close to heaven as it gets. They're close to heaven as it gets. Now, these strange sights are, are rather unnerving to Jesus' disciples. We're told that they are terrified, they are shaking in their sandals, which is, you know, fair enough, because like I said, this isn't something you see every day. It's rather odd, rather out of the ordinary. It's what Jesus, Christian tradition calls a theophany. It's called a theophany, the appearance of God. God shows up, God is manifest, where God, usually hidden in our eyes, somehow shines through. This is as close to heaven as anyone can get in our world. This is a manifestation of the glory of God a revelation of Jesus' identity and his character. This is a theophany that happens. God has come close and revealed God's self in the face of Jesus. Now, the fascinating here part here, though, is how one of the disciples, Peter, reacts to this heavenly encounter. Rabbi Peter, Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, it is good for us to be up here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, you know, three tents, three tabernacles, and then we could just, you know, we could just like settle down. We could chill, we could hang out. I mean, we've got the glory of the Lord, we've got the teachers of the faith together, we've got God's good future right at our doorstep. What else could we possibly need? Peter is suggesting that they set up camp at the top of the mountain. He's suggesting that they stay up there on the mountain. It's good to be here, he says. Let's just stick around. Let's, you know, let's, let's get a deed for whatever this little piece of land is on the top of the mountain and stick around here. We'll send people down for groceries or something. I don't know, but we'll stick up here. Let's stick around, he says. He wants to stay at the top of the mountain, but who can blame him? Really, who can blame him? Because just a chapter before, Jesus told these guys that he is going to undergo great suffering. He's going to undergo great suffering. He's going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and he is going to be crucified. He's going to be nailed to a cross 
and in three days rise again. I mean, they don't really hear that three days rise again part, actually. They only kind of only hear the suffer cross thing. What's even worse, though, is that they said if any, it was what he says that if anybody wants to be his disciple, anybody wants to apprentice to him, they need to deny themselves and take up their own crosses to follow him. Those that lose their lives for his sake will save them. Take up your own cross, Jesus says. I'm going to the cross, and if you want to follow me, you're coming too. Me, you, cross. If you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood, as they say. In, a face, in the face of a future wrought with suffering, it is good to be up here, Peter says. It's an oasis, a welcome escape from the troubles at hand in the face of all that struggle down on earth. It is good to be up here. Heaven is the place to be. It's good to be up here because up here sure beats down there. Up here on the mountain is a welcome retreat from the cross. It is good to be up here, not down there. Up on the mountain, Jesus provides Peter, shimmering Jesus, reprise, uh, provides Peter with a heavenly escape, a retreat from the troubles of the world. And that's where Peter says they should stay and stick around. A retreat from the troubles of the world. Which is a common criticism of religion, isn't it? Religion in general and Christianity in particular, that it's a retreat from the troubles of the world. I'm reminded when I just graduated from seminary, which is minister school, I was the United Church's chaplain at the University of British Columbia, minister to college students. If you know anything about being at university and being in your late teens, you will know that it's not exactly a place where, you know, Christianity is uh, celebrated or flourishes exactly. It was orientation day where all the various clubs were set up to attract members. I was seated at our little United Church table with a few of our students, and we were approached by this young, enthusiastic student, a younger guy, maybe at the end of his degree, and introduced himself. And immediately he described himself as an atheist. He was like, hey there, I'm an atheist. You know, I mean, I don't really introduce myself. Hello, I'm Ryan, I'm a Christian. Uh, hello, Ryan, I'm a minister of the word of God. Uh, don't really do that, but that's what he did. He described himself as an atheist, but not one of those atheists, he said. I'm not one of those atheists, he said. He'd met plenty of religious people who were some of the kindest, most generous, reasonable, and intelligent people he knew. He didn't think religion was necessarily a bad thing, like those, those atheists, those other atheists. Some atheists do. So what was his issue then? I asked him if religion was, wasn't such a bad thing. Why atheism? I mean, why are you even coming up to my table? Seriously, you just want to come and tell me you're an atheist and about how we're great, but no thanks? I mean, take up your cross, I guess. He thought for a moment, and he said that atheism is just more realistic, he said. Don't get me wrong, it's a great comfort for, religion's a great comfort for people who are suffering in life. I can't really blame anyone for wanting to ease their suffering with the thought of an afterlife. 
but we have so many problems in the world to deal with. Religion just seems like an escape from dealing with the world's real problems. Religion is an escape, an oasis from the troubles of the day. Now, he didn't know this, but his problem with Christianity was with Peter from this story, more or less. His problem wasn't the existence of God, the Bible, or the church, but that, like Peter, religious people seem to be so preoccupied with setting up camps in heaven that we end up avoiding the inevitable suffering on earth below. His problem was that religion is what Karl Marx, the great philosopher of communism, once said that religion is the opiate of the people. I mean, now opiates are the opiate of the people, actually, but formerly religion, I guess. Soothing the pain of the world while doing nothing about it. I don't know if you ever heard, there's a Johnny Cash song that says, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That while providing relief or escape from the world's sufferings, it does nothing to actually face it. That was the criticism. Too heavenly minded, no earthly good. Peter in his tabernacle up on the mountain. It's good up to be up here. Let's stick around forever. Now, I didn't really have a good one-liner to send back his way at the time. I mean, it would have been so great. It would have been so wonderful if I had something clever to say, but I didn't. But maybe I should have just told him the story of the transfiguration at that point. Because as much as Peter wants to stick around on the mountain, Jesus won't let him. Jesus won't let him. As much as he'd like to escape the cross, it's Jesus who leads him back down to earth. Just as the scene is ending, a cloud overshadows them. It's another theophany thing. You know, the Lord often shows up in a cloud, especially in the Old Testament. And from the cloud, a voice booms, This is my son! The beloved, listen to him, hear him, hear what he has to say, do what he says. And then after the voice, it kind of all just disappears. All this mystical stuff seems to go away, and the amazing encounter on the mountaintop is over, and they are left alone with plain old Jesus. Dirty beige robe, dusty sandals. And a divine order to listen to him, to follow him. To follow him back down the mountain. To follow him back to the cross. To the suffering world down on earth. It's hardly an escape at all. It's hardly an escape at all. I mean, it sort of proves that the criticism of Christianity is just not true. It's hardly an escape at all because Jesus orders them back down the mountain. But the most remarkable thing in my mind isn't just that Jesus sends his disciples back into the world of suffering. He's just sort of like, go on, go at it. Have at it, my friends. See you someday. 
But Jesus goes with them. That's the remarkable thing. Jesus goes with them. He goes with them. He goes ahead of them into the world of conflict. He heads down into the world of heartbreak and grief. He heads down into our world as it is. He heads down into the world that ultimately rejects him. He heads down to his life that ultimately ends with his own suffering and his death, one that Jesus faces head-on, is killed, and then is raised again. I mean, that's the most remarkable thing, that Jesus goes down the mountain. The, heaven, the Lord of heaven and earth that they just saw on the mountain, shimmering white, goes with them down the mountain. This encounter on the mountain is not an escape, but it's a sneak preview of what to come. Jesus says, don't tell anything, anybody about this until I'm raised from the dead, because they won't get it until then. It's a sneak preview of what is to come, and this message is at the heart of the Christian story. At the heart of the gospel message is not us going up to the heavenly mountain to set up camp and leave the world's troubles behind. It's about God coming down and bringing heaven to us. It's about God coming down with us into our world as it is, our ordinary, everyday, mundane lives, our world filled with hurt and trouble to bear our burdens, forgive our sins, and in the end, make all things new. It's not about God taking us, it's not about us going up to God, but God coming down to us and our world and transfiguring it making it new. So what are you running from, is the question. What's taken you? What takes you up the mountain? Is it pain? Is it trauma? Is it fear? Is it loss? Is it a bad diagnosis? The pitiful plight of your neighbor? The hopelessness of the world? And where is your mountaintop out, out there? Where do you escape? What do you use to get escape the cross down here, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Religion, mystical experiences, shopping, yoga, whatever you're running from, wherever you're running to, the good news is the same. You can stop hiding and come down the mountain. Because not only is Jesus the majestic Lord of heaven on a glorious mountaintop, he's the sovereign of the valley of the shadow of death, the creator of all things bright and beautiful, is also the king of the cross. He is with us. He is with you. And on account of him, we have no need to fear any evil of any kind. The transfiguration of the Lord carries to us a wonderful promise. It says that faith, at least the way of Jesus Christ, is not a retreat from the troubles of the world, but a divine summons to face the world head on. It says we don't have to run away from our troubles or turn away from the cries of our neighbors or tuck our souls away in drink, sex, drugs, or rock and roll, etc. There's nothing wrong with rock and roll. I know it's only rock and roll, but I like it, as they say. Because God is not only with us, but God is for us, our very present help in times of trouble. So brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, as we head down 
from the mountain of the transfiguration into the season of Lent, the season of the cross, as we come down the mountain into the valley, we're reminded that we can face our lives as they are, and we can face our world as it is. We can take up our crosses with courage, knowing that Easter stands on the other side. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And with his mercy and grace, all things are possible. This is his beloved, God's beloved son. Listen to him. I offer this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.